was my Bible teacher when we went to Israel and we went from place to place. And for you know those of you who were able to make it Friday and Saturday, um, he just filled us with all kinds of context with the scripture. It was so helpful and beneficial. And I can't wait for you to hear from him this morning as he teaches us from John chapter 9. Let's welcome Dr. John Delancey. Thank you, Pastor. Pleasure to be with you. Good morning. Boker Tov. Boker Tov. Can you say that in Hebrew? Boker. B-O-K-E-R. Tov. That means the Steelers are better than the Patriots. I'm just sorry. That means good morning. I'm from Pennsylvania. Actually, I pastored in Pittsburgh, so don't hold that against me. But it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I am the founder and director of our ministry, and it's humbling, really, to be able to uh, to teach the Bible in context. In fact, uh, this is what we teach. We lead multiple trips to Israel, this land of the Bible, as we call it, this 300-mile uh, in length piece of property, and about 75 miles at its widest point. This is where many of the stories of the Bible took place, and I'm happy uh, for the invitation uh, by Rick and uh, the hospitality that I've sensed already from all of you uh, just a privilege of mine to be able to teach what I call a pictorial message that actually took place right there in Jerusalem. So I'm happy to talk to you about our ministry after the service. We have a resource table with some books and some drone video and topography maps. Unfortunately, not this big, but they're always a good resource as we uh, talk about learning the Bible uh, in the context of the land. So, uh, let me pray as we begin. I'd like to pray with a, begin with a Hebrew blessing and then a prayer that God's Spirit may speak to all of us. Baruch Adonai Lohenu Melakha Olam. Blessed are you, Lord, our Lord, King of the universe. We ask that you open our eyes and our hearts to the Word today, the story from John 9. May we be receptive, receptive and open. Uh, to what you have, the truth of who you are. May we see you anew again today. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. When's the last time you've actually had an eye test? Okay, I have my cheaters here, by the way, just in case. 2020 is what they call perfect eyesight. 2200 is when you are deemed legally blind. And anything in between is when you need these cheaters, right? Well, uh, this is developed, this eye chart was developed by a guy named Snelling, Dr. Snelling, at the end of the 1800s, actually. And I have a confession to make. Uh, when I was in high school, you know, for sports, uh, athletic, physicals, and all this, uh, you had to get a, a physical and I thought I would cheat the system, so I memorized the bottom line. <laughs> Little did I know that no chart is the same. So I rattled off, you know, F, Z, B, F, S, whatever it was, and I, was, I had them all wrong, and the doctor looked at me and says, you, you memorized that, didn't you? I go, oh, yeah, that's right. We don't like to admit that we're blind or going blinder with the need of cheaters like this. 
Unfortunately, we also live in a culture where we may be spiritually blind to the truth of who Jesus is. Perhaps you're here today never realizing who this guy named Jesus was. And perhaps this is the day where God will open your eyes as well. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience to have our spiritual eyes open uh, through God's Spirit. And this is the text which I think exemplifies that the best. As I mentioned, this is a pictorial message. And as we unfold this message, uh, I think it's really a neat story. It's actually the longest miracle in the Gospels. And I want to sort of read it in a dramatic way. And uh, let me just introduce to you, of course, there's the blind guy. Uh, For some reason, I picture him as a small, squeaky-sounding guy. I I don't know. But he uh, was uh, challenged, of course, being blind by birth. And then, of course, there's Jesus who heals him in a really special way. There's the disciples that ask one question, why this guy was blind in the first place. And then the parents chime in, the crowd and the neighbors, they chime in in this long dialogue. And then, of course, there are the Pharisees. Oh, the arrogant Pharisees who don't like what happened because it happened on the Shabbat, the Sabbath. So I want to read this story. I think God speaks to us through his word. And then I want to unfold simply four observations of how this man progressed through seeing Jesus as someone in whom he placed his faith. So here is the story from John 9. Uh, You don't need to follow along unless you want to, but I want to read it in its entirety before we unfold this, what I think is a, a simple but yet pictorial message for us this morning. Here it is. As he went along, he saw a man born blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, he must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes and said, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others says, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. That's the squeaky voice, you know. (laughs) Well, then how were your eyes opened? They ask. He replied, well, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know. They brought the, the man to the Pharisees. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Shabbat, the Sabbath. 
Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And the man replied, well, he put mud in my eyes and I washed and now I can see. Some of the Pharisees, Pharisees said, Oh, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Shabbat. But others ask, well, who can, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then the Pharisees turned again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. The Pharisees asked him, Is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it then that he can see? The parents answered, Well, we know he is our son, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see and who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Now his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. This is why his parents said, He's of age. <laughs> Ask him. The second time, the Pharisees summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know that this man is a sinner. The blind man replied, Well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, but one thing I do know, I was once blind, but now I can see. Then they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I have already told you, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Oh, at this they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moshe. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he came from. The man answered, Now, isn't that remarkable? (laughs) You don't even know where he comes from, but yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the man, the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you, oh, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe.
and he worshipped him. This is the reading of John 9. As we unfold this story, we want to talk about four steps that this man went through. Let's call this first one the cure. At this point, the blind guy identifies Jesus as simply Jesus. Now, step with me into the temple as we understand that this temple built by Herod the Great was built in 20 B.C. I think this man was probably in and out or around this temple as we fly into the eastern part. Uh, This temple, magnificent building, even the disciples once commented commented on how remarkable it actually was. So I guess, uh, just based on sort of the topography of Jerusalem and the the cultural setting of this uh, story, I I guess that this man is probably near the precincts of of the temple, maybe uh, on the southwest corner of the temple, where, uh, incidentally, Jesus, uh, before this, was tempted by Satan. And I just surmise that Jesus uh, knew the temple well, and so did this blind guy. So when we talk about this blind guy who's told by Jesus to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, it's interesting that the first question that the disciples would ask is this, who sinned, this man or his parents? Now understand that culturally, there were some rabbis who believed that you could actually sin before you were born. And if that was the case, just imagine that this man, born with blindness, had zero chance, like every other outcast in that culture, to be forgiven of his sins. This man was completely hopeless. And yet Jesus, perhaps right there on this particular street, this is where Jesus maybe befriends him and says, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. This man who could not see the magnificent stones of the temple at this point then walked, no doubt, with his, the help of his parents and maybe other friends, walked on this particular pavement, a pavement that actually dates to uh, about 30 A.D., perfect timing. Uh, the archaeology just helps us understand the context. And he walks uh, with the help of his friends and parents, about 350 yards down to that particular pool called the Pool of Siloam. There's a good model to tell you uh, where I think uh, he went to, certainly the pool, but using this pavement built uh, at the time of the first century. And even we can walk on this pavement today. So just imagine this man, hopeless in his condition. He had mud on his eyes at this point probably now drying on his eyes, and he walks on this particular road, a road that he still can't see, but when he gets down towards the end of this road, in fact, the road probably looked like this, and underneath, as you can see, was a drainage channel, which collected the water and diverted the water into the pool. So down these final steps, this man goes until he comes to the very steps of the Pool of Siloam. Could you imagine this man? He's probably wondering, okay, I still have mud on my eyes. What's going to happen? So he gets down and scoops some water in his eyes, washes the mud off his eyes, 
And finally, his eyes were opened. His physical eyes at this point. In fact, archaeologically, this pool has now been found. In fact, they're even expanding more of the excavation to see if they can find more of the steps. The pool probably looked something like this. And someone asked, well, who did this to you? The first of four questions to this guy. You were blind, you say, but who healed you? And at this point, this man simply says, a man named Jesus. That's like you and I saying, a man named Joseph or Bill or Tom. It was such a common name. At this point, he only was aware of the name of Jesus. That's it. But yet, now, the controversy. Step two. He goes from seeing this guy named Jesus to, oh, maybe he's a prophet. This is what we read in verse 17. The controversy. Have you ever been in a controversy uh, lately? Have you ever talked politics with someone? Now, I'd probably get in a big controversy if I said, uh, the Steelers also won six Super Bowls. I know I am in patriot territory, right? Talk about a, a controversy. You guys are Red Sox fans, maybe? So if I say, I'm a Yankee fan, man... Oh, man, that would be really tough. Well, this guy says, well, maybe he's a prophet, verse 17. And the Pharisee says, well, how can he be a prophet? He healed on the Shabbat. Now, you have to understand that the Shabbat was reserved for God. This is the controversy. Although there's something even today called the Petuach Nefesh, the saving of the soul. If you're ill or hurt in an accident, even in Israel, on the Shabbat, which is a really a, a high holy holiday every week, starts Friday night through Saturday night, uh, there's something called the Petuach Nefesh, the saving of the soul. You have uh, the ability to sort of break the Shabbat law and tend to the need of someone with physical needs. And even the rabbis back in the days of Jesus some believed you could step over the rules of Shabbat to do that, and others didn't think you could. Here in this case, the Pharisees didn't think you could. So how could you say this to this man? How could the man himself say, he's a prophet? Because he's not anything like Moses, who received the Ten Commandments, maybe on this mountain. This man named Jesus, this may be a prophet, as you say. It was never like this guy named Elijah, who confronted the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And certainly this guy named Jesus, who you think may be a prophet, certainly could not have been like this prophet named Isaiah, who in the Judean desert proclaimed, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight a highway for our God. So what are you talking about, these Pharisees asked this blind guy. He can't be a prophet because he healed on the Shabbat. This was the controversy. And yet this man was now understanding his need went far greater than simply his physical needs. Just think, this blind guy born from a blind from birth, 
now was seeing with his eyes and now questioned by the Pharisees. Just think how hopeless this man was up to this point. Hopeless and restless, looking for purpose, looking for uh, any kind of hope for his life. Maybe rest for his soul, if you will. There's a story that involves a golden retriever that I heard of once. A golden retriever was in the backyard of an elderly couple who was hanging out their laundry on the clothesline. Do any of you still do that, by the way? Have you done that in the past? Well, I know my mom did. And oh, the smell of wind-blown laundry sheets and towels is nothing like it. Well, uh, as they were taking down their clothes from the clothes hanger, uh, this golden retriever simply followed them into the back door of their house, down the hallway, and lay down next to the wall. There was no tag on this golden retriever, this old dog, but a gentle one nonetheless, and they were wondering who's the owner of this dog. About an hour after uh, the nap, uh, the dog goes to the door, the older couple open the door, and off the dog goes. Well, in about a couple days, the dog comes back, same thing, takes a nap for an hour, leaves. The third time, the older couple now decided to put a little note around the dog's collar. It had no identification, but the note was there to indicate to perhaps the owners that this dog has been visiting this house three times now. They simply wanted to return the dog to its rightful owner. So here comes the fourth time the dog comes back now with a different note underneath the collar. Because the first note, written by the couple, simply said, we want to find out who the owner of the dog is. So this note now was apparently written by the owner of the dog, and it said something like this. We are the owners of this dog. Four kids live in the house with this dog. Three are under the age two. The dog is simply trying to find a little peace and rest. <laughs> P.S. Can I come too? <laughs> you know, the mom was the one who wrote this. Just think, this man, hopeless, restless in his soul, searching for purpose. Because after all, the culture said, you can't be forgiven. Yet, now we turn to the next part of the story, the connection. And in this connection, we see that this man now identifies God in verses 31 to 34 as a man from God. Listen again to verse 30. The man answered, Now, isn't that remarkable? You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So this man now, who's now seeing physically, identifies Jesus as a man named Jesus. Maybe he's a prophet, but now a man from God. Do you see the progression? I want to take you to a four-minute video that helps us understand who Jesus is to us today. Perhaps you're here not understanding precisely who He is. He was born in Bethlehem, just beyond that hill there. 
under the shadows of a palace fortress named and called the Herodian. Herod the Great was the king, but then later Jesus was set apart at the age 30 through baptism. He was then tempted in the desert for 40 days. He was prepared now to take the kingdom message to the north. He grew up in a city called Nazareth, a small town in his day, but now a town of about 80,000 people. He served many Jewish towns and villages like Sepphoris, only four miles away. I have to think when Jesus is even a child, he probably visited this site. Cana across the valley was where Jesus performed his first miracle the changing of the water to wine, but primarily in the area of the Sea of Galilee is where Jesus shared his ministry. This is who Jesus was. Here in the northwest corner, uh, the Capernaum is where he primarily served. We could read Mark 1, Mark 2, Mark 9, John uh, 6, Luke 7. All of these passages uh, where we can see Jesus teaching, healing, with authority, and now a crowd is gathering around him uh, in terms of what he was teaching out of curiosity. Along the shoreline, Jesus would call his first disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. He would actually condemn this city for their unbelief. They did not see him as the Messiah. Here in the north corner of the lake, Jesus fed 5,000 plus people. He demonstrated his power, his miraculous power. Here in the southeast corner, he fed 4,000 people. You see, Jesus spent a lot of time around this lake because he was all about teaching the kingdom. Here in this first century synagogue at Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from, no doubt he taught about the kingdom, about taking hold of this kingdom, the reign and rule of God in people's lives. Perhaps here in this first century synagogue at Gamla also. You see, Jesus was now attracting a curious crowd. They were wondering what he was teaching. He was teaching that he was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, that he indeed was the Messiah. He would spend time out in a boat with his disciples, in even a boat found in 1986. Can you imagine Jesus in a boat like this, Mark 4 records the first of two storm narratives where Jesus is sleeping in the boat and he says, Peace, be still, to these restless disciples. Perhaps here on the cliffs of Arbel, Jesus took his disciples to get away from the crowds and to tell them, I must go to Jerusalem and I must die and I will then be raised again. But the final exam question that he would ask his disciples was this. Who do you say I am? He said it in the vicinity, in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And it's Peter who responded, my friends. He said, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And from here, about six months later, Jesus would go to Jerusalem. He would be in and out of the temple courts. He would be questioned by the religious leaders. And finally, betrayed by Judas, taken and bound by Caiaphas, the high priest, and then sentenced to die a death on the cross as a criminal. He was brutally injured and scorned and mocked. And yet Jesus did all of this out of obedience for you and for me. It's all about the cross. And of course, this blind guy, if we get back to the story, didn't know yet this was going to happen. 
But you see, Jesus was all about connecting with people, with the hope that he and only he could offer. How do we connect with Jesus today? Well, we connect with what we read in the Bible. For instance, listen to what Paul would write about Jesus. It says uh, in chapter 1 of Colossians, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Have you connected with Jesus today? Maybe you only see Him as a guy named Jesus. You know, there's so much skepticism in our world, our culture. There's so much doubt that even the Bible is true and trustworthy. In fact, I just uh, talked to someone this week who sort of grew up in the, the church and unfortunately now is sort of doubting his faith. Do you see Jesus as maybe a prophet? Maybe he was a good teacher, a rabbi. A man from God? Maybe he was representing God. But can we also say, as we conclude with the confession, what happens at the end of this story is remarkable. Because now this man who could see not only physically with his eyes, I believe he turned and opened his heart to Jesus and now could see Him as well. Listen to this confession. Verse 35, once again, Jesus heard that they had thrown Him out. And when He found Him, it's Jesus who found this guy. Knowing that this hopeless, restless man still needed something of hope and promise and salvation. And He asked the man, Do you believe in the Son of Man? It's a messianic term that Jesus borrowed from the book of Daniel. And how does this man respond? Lord, I believe. You see, this man's spiritual eyes were now open. And as we realize today that it is Jesus, the Son of Man, who came not to be served, but to serve, He is the one who gave His life as a ransom for us. That's the good news for this morning. That's the confession. Let me conclude with one final eye exam. Can you read this one? My friends, have you opened your eyes to see Jesus? Is he just a man named Jesus to you? Is he just a prophet? Are you trusting the validity, the authenticity of scriptures that tell us that he was a man from God and certainly the Son of God who gave his life for you and me and now extends his invitation to each of us? I don't know where you are in your walk of faith, your journey of faith. Maybe you're still investigating this guy named Jesus, but you have to understand that perhaps if indeed your heart is restless and hopeless, and without purpose. In fact, I just read something this morning 
that those who don't believe in the Word of God, 72% who were surveyed believe that their life has no purpose. How sad is that to understand that it is Jesus who gives us hope. It is Jesus who opens our eyes. It's Jesus who finds us. And he simply says, here I am. I've died for you. I've given my life for you. And we are now invited to have our open, our spiritual eyes open so that we can see him and accept him as we simply pray, Lord, <laughs> I am a sinner. I am hopeless. I don't have any purpose in my life. I need you. I turn from my sin. I repent from my sin. And I simply accept you by faith. I don't understand it all. I don't understand the Bible. But yet I know you came for me. If you are here, at that point in your spiritual journey, today is the day to make that decision. To simply say, just like this blind guy, without the squeaky voice, Lord, I believe. I believe. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. <laughs> thank you for this story that unfolds right before us. A story of a man whose eyes were physically open. And who can now see, and yet the eyes of his heart were also opened, prompting him to say to you, Jesus, Lord, I believe. This is what we pray today. Perhaps we're in a position in our walk of faith where we need to say this. Lord, I've never extended my belief, my faith in you. So today I do this. I take this step of faith. Perhaps we're here already making that decision, and yet we need to see you anew as one who can remind us of our hope and purpose in life as citizens of your kingdom. So open our spiritual eyes today. This is our humble prayer as we pray in Jesus' name.